Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Welcome to Krypton Radio. We are your hosts, Gene Turnbow and, and Susan. Susan Fox. And with us t- this evening is Carol Barrowman. And welcome Woo-hoo. to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I've thank been you for being tweeting here. all week about how I was going to be part of an event horizon. I just <laughs> love being able to say that. <laughs> Thank oh you. yes. Well, you know, it's it's not uh, it's not the most crushing experience, but uh, we'll you know, we'll, we'll do our gentle. bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm 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 ready for anything. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you're you're a writer. You're a, a an academician. Yes. Of long, long uh, involvement in history. Well, you but that's, there's it. a there's a mighty history of that there, in there the must fantasy be. science fiction writing field. Uh, There is, although I would like to just say for anyone who's listening that I was, you know, 10 when I started (laughs) writing and teaching Teaching, teaching, yes, you know, that's which is why I've kept this youthful, you know, exterior appearance, either that or there's been some kind of alien interference somewhere along the line. You know, that runs in your family (laughs) because we've seen your, your rotten kid brother. That's right. Riding a TARDIS and, and yes, mucking and about. Well, your the brother's time a time traveler, so, you know, he, she could have made maybe a few side trips. I, I think it runs in the family. I think, I think it does. I have been in the hub, I spent some time in the hub, so maybe Torchwood had an influence on me. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, Carol Barrowman and her brother, John Barrowman, have done quite a bit of writing together. Uh, his, his, you know, nonfiction about his life and interests and some. Uh, young adult novels, the Hollow Earth series, the first of which is The Hollow Earth, followed by The Bone Quill, and most recently, The Book of Beasts, which I just found out about 10 minutes ago is now out, and why didn't I know about this? Well, it is actually not officially out, at least I have, and and if it is, then I don't know about it either. Oh, (laughs) oh, oh, I see. Where did you read this? I I read I saw the link for Book of Beasts on the Carol Barrowman website, so yes. maybe I didn't click on enough links. It's pre-order. You can pre-order. Well, I want to pre-order because I want to know what happens next, and and even the title, The Book of Beasts, is pretty provocative considering how the first book starts out. And not not to drop spoilers, but. That's okay, and I am, I'm very excited, obviously, when any readers realize that there's a, a direct link, but it's especially exciting for John and I when kids say, oh, you've called the third book the Book of Beasts, and the very first line of the first book is the Book of Beasts, and I'm like, yes, you've been reading carefully. Smart children, <laughs> read your books. Read, read your books and get smarter. That's right. Read That's any right. books and get smarter, really, but... That's right, but I do. I have to say that the, a, lot, a lot of the kids, you know, John and I have done hundreds of presentations with schools and so on across across the UK, and certainly a number of them here in the states. And one of the things that we've really noticed is the kids that read any books obviously are, are they've got a leg up, but you know, the kids that read sci-fi are particularly um, that they're particularly comfortable with ambiguity in their reading, and I love that. Well, it's it's because uh, so much of uh, you know it's so much of the content requires them to uh, to keep an open mind. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Sort of willing and, suspension of disbelief. 
Well, that in itself is really an, an amazing feat of imagination to do that, especially if you're eight years old, you know, and I think, um, and maybe it's actually, I don't know, maybe it's harder when you get older because you're sort of more entrenched in the reality of the world. And um, so maybe it's a little easier maybe for the eight-year-old. Eight I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that much, but I do know that they're pretty smart readers. Well, you know, you start out with uh, books like um, The Spaceship Under the Apple Tree and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, my God. Is that still in print? That oh, was, was of course. Print. Oh, yes. There's <laughs> a big tree child. as far as, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. sci-fi is concerned. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and um, you know, the little alien in that was named Zip Zip. Oh my! Yeah, because because uh, uh, humans uh, thought and spoke so slowly that he had to burn off the extra intellectual effort by making this zip noise, well, which actually like... which actually contained a great deal of information that the humans couldn't understand. Yeah, we so, call it Zip Squeal now, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. Or we'd have it, or we'd have a very fast text version of it, <laughs> and then slow it down in audacity. Yeah, a wall of a, a giant wall of text. <laughs> TLDR, too long, didn't you? So, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, you often you often talk about uh, your relationship with John um, as a collaborator in the work, and yet it seems as though John says he's not much of a writer, and. <laughs> Go ahead. And, and, so, and where I'm, does this collaboration come from? How, who, who's who's doing what? I mean, there there are many aspects of collaboration, as we all know. Right, and I I think what we um, we established a, a really pretty cool relation, a collaborative relationship when I worked on Anything Goes with them, which is really our the first book we worked together on, and it's the story of sort of John's early career and and so forth, and. Um, I well, one of the things that he we all sort of knew, and I say we, I mean my family and and myself, is that um, John is, can't write. He's a useless speller, and of course we blame Doctor Who for that, <laughs> because when you know John and I grew up, um, uh, well he grew up, and I was a little older when we in in the seventies when we moved to the states, and we used to watch Doctor Who on WDTTW mm-hmm. in Chicago. And um, he would stay up very late to watch it and then never do his spelling homework. So oh, boy. Yes, he's a lousy speller because of Doctor Who. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> Not because he stayed up. He chose to no, stay no, up no. late. Blame it on the doctor. Come on. You All right. The doctor would say, right. Yeah. yeah. Mea culpa. <laughs> so what, what happened is... Um, with that book, John would tell the, the stories, um, or I would interview him, and we hung out together for um, you know big chunks of time, and I would record everything, and and then I would turn it into written prose and and make it sound like uh, you know a book. Um, but uh, so there was a cl- collaboration like that. But then when we started to think about writing some fiction together, obviously the dynamics of storytelling changes a little bit, and. Um, but we f- still felt that the process was a legitimate one. So when we started thinking about this, the Hollow Earth series, um, it came about really from a drive from the BBC um, to uh, in London to Cardiff, Wales. And we were trying to keep each other. Uh, I was trying to keep him awake because he was driving. Um, and uh, we started chatting uh, um, about all sorts of silly things, as we are wont to do. And one of them was trying to decide which one of us had the best idea for a superpower. And um, we went on about that for a while. And then we both sort of at the same time came up with this idea that wouldn't it be pretty awesome if when you drew or anything you um, drew came to life? And then we went from there to think about, and you could move into art, and all these bad guys would come chasing after you. And, of course, we were eating a lot of sugar at the time, so we're talking faster and faster every time we were going, <laughs> uh-huh. describing all these things. Uh-huh. And by the time we got to Cardiff, we had sort of laid out what essentially was a pitch for the series mm-hmm. about twins, a brother and sister. John and I are not twins. No, you're not. But um, we um, are siblings, so we thought it would be kind of cool to have siblings write a book about siblings and... The twins in the book are able to draw and bring their drawings to life. They can move in and out of art. So the books are full of, of images and references to real art and, and real artists and um, very exciting adventure stories. And 
So what we did was we eventually, uh, for the first book, for example, we we collect we we sat down, talked to each other, and I think I came home to the states with about a sixty-page outline. Oh my! Lord. Oh my gosh! Yeah, most and and not in any not really in the order that would do anybody any good or do a writer much good at the time, but mm-hmm. really sort of we'd like this to happen we'd like this to happen and then once this happens and then we jump back to that first point scene then this should happen and in that 60 pages we really arced out what was all, all three books in the series so you had all the bits all you needed was a pair of scissors you that's know right. That's right. <laughs> to cut it apart and rearrange it in the order it went that's right that's right if only if only <laughs> um so i went off to i came back to wisconsin and um did a, a rough draft. Um, uh, we had, we also did, um, which was actually a lot of fun to do. And I, I recommend this to my own writing students. We did a biography, a little mini biography for all the main characters. You know, what does this person look like? Um, so in the case of the brother and sister, Matt and M, what does Matt look like? What does M look like? Uh, what, is, what are their hobbies? And, and we created a backstory for both the kids and for all the characters that even if not all the details ended up in the books, it fleshed out the characters for us and, and gave me something to work with. And then I come home to Wisconsin. I do. I write a draft, ship mm-hmm. it off to John. Thank God for technology. Mm-hmm. Send it to John. He looks through it makes changes, um, you know, tries to argue with me about certain things. I'm the big sister. I try to win. (laughs) Uh I understand this dynamic on a personal basis. Yes, very good. Good. Well, you understand what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about. And then then we we sort of work from there. So it, it... I think it's it's an interesting collaboration. It might not be a typical one for most writers, but if you if if you think about the authoring of a book is so much more than just the writing process, then in that sense, um, it's really um, a, a very uh, uh, true collaboration in that sense of the word. But he and John would be the first to admit he doesn't do any of the writing per se. <laughs> yeah, he's not the one who actually types the stuff out. No, he is not. And I, and I do, I spend a lot of time trying to give our, our, our ideas, you know, obviously a narrative mm-hmm. arc, but he is, you know, both of us have really good imaginations. And he often, when he looks at the, uh, the first rough draft, he'll say, you know, I know you went this way, but did you think about this? And sometimes I didn't, and then I'll take it back and we'll shoot off in another direction. So it's, as a writer, it's very, uh, it, it's an exciting collaboration, and, and we actually have a lot of fun together. And every time we're almost done with a project, we try to make sure we have the next project lined up because we really are enjoying this way too much to stop. Great. It sounds like you have a tremendous synergy going. I mean, well, it's, he's it's... got the dramatic imagination, being a, you know the kind of actor that he is. And and I I feel that you know the kids in particular have a lot of life to them, you know Matt is just getting to that age where he just wants to sit and listen to his music in the corner and grump, yes. and yes. oh you know I can just like see the hormones bubbling. Oh yes, and at the time yes absolutely <laughs> suddenly turn about to turn into a sullen teenager and yes. you know God I know that stage. Yes, well I do too I do too and and the thing you know I think probably for both of us we have enough children in our lives. And, um, and, 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 and we can um, empathize with, with the, own, the children that we or remember, maybe is a better word, with the children that we used to be. So, and, and some people would say that we have never let them, those children go that we used to be. <laughs> and that's, that's probably why I think that the, the two characters are, are, um, are real, I think, rounded characters. I think there's a little bit of John and Matt and Em, and I think there's a little bit of me and, and Matt and Em, and, and, uh, and, and that's kind of cool. Well, I think that's, you know, I think that's the way it's supposed to be when you're writing characters like this, because uh, you, have to, you have to reach back and, and talk to the, the 12-year-old that still lives inside you, you know, yeah. to remember what it was like. And make yeah. them at least somewhat likable, or who's going to stick with it? <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting because the second book, Matt's really kind of pretty angry in the second book. But you know, everyone who who I've talked to who um, either knows of a twelve or thirteen year old boy, and um, even twelve or thirteen year old boys who have read the book, have, have resonated a lot with how you, f- you know, how it is mm-hmm. for boys. And of course, M 
the wonderful time we had with Em is thinking about her as she was entering puberty and and she she's constantly her imagination's constantly getting away from her and so all these figures and imaginary characters are are constantly coming to life and swirling around her and I kept thinking god that would be cool. <laughs> You think of what characters you would have had, and right, maybe right. you're a little embarrassed. I'd be a little embarrassed now, but well, you know. actually, there is a scene. Cute um, boys. Yeah, I know. There's actually a scene, and I think it, I think it's in Bone Quill, um, uh, where she comes down the st- where M comes down the stairs one morning, and the two boys, uh, Matt, her brother, and Zach, who's a, a character who's a friend of theirs, and they look over at her, and I, I think in the in the text it says something like. She's got um, a vampire and a werewolf that that you know look a lot like main characters from a famous movie series or something like other. So she's she's got um, you know she's reading she, Twilight, isn't she? She's, yes, she's been dreaming Twilight, and they're still l- lingering around her. So, <laughs> well, you know, someone's got to read it. <laughs> I didn't have a question. It's motioning at me like what? It's motioning at you for a question. I guess so. Um, the rest of the characters in the book are pretty well fleshed out too, and they're not. You know, they don't fall into any formula. There's good guys. There's bad guys. You know, not. It's not the kids against the adults. There's there's right. good adults and bad adults. I haven't run into many bad kids yet, but you know, I haven't read the third book yet. <laughs> Who knows? No. no. So no. how far, how far along is the third book? The third book is all done. And it is it's not to is, come out, evidently. Yeah, well, the the thing that makes um, both John and I very nervous is the pre-orders are always out and listed before we are completely finished. Ay, ay, ay. There's that that's, pressure. That's a little scary. It is a, it is, it is a little scary, and um, it puts a lot of pressure on you if you're running a little behind deadline, which we were with this um, last one, um, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was John's schedule and, and you mm-hmm. know, Arrow filming and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so, yeah. um, but it'll. I think it's coming out in the UK in the summer, and then um, usually it'll be it'll come out here fairly quickly thereafter. Within the you know a few months after it, it'll come out over here. So yeah. Well, now that we have access to uh, you know Amazon U dot yes. UK dot co dot UK, well, yes. I've I've stopped buying American books when when they're coming out in the in the UK that much sooner. I just, you know, the, uh, the latest Terry Pratchett book I've already read. <laughs> it's only just coming out here now. So Hall- but, your, your publisher is Simon and Schuster. Our publisher here is Simon and Schuster. Our publisher, um, over in the UK is, um, uh, Michael O'Mara and head of Zeus, uh, which I just love. Head of Zeus. Oh, it's, it's a, awesome. sounds Athenian. a little, yes. Athenia yeah. bursting. Oh, yes. Full formed. From the head of Zeus, absolutely. An eccentric head number headache. a million. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So Simon and Schuster, and so and the interesting thing about children's books in the UK is that they um, they tend to publish go straight to paperback rather than having a hardback and then a paperback. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about that, I thought, or I and I, you know, I still think this is that. Um, kids then can sort of save up and go buy the book on their own because it's a very, very affordable. Um, and whereas over here, Simon & Schuster put out a really lovely um, hardback first, and then it's all often about nine months before it goes to paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I guess the nice thing for John and I as, as authors is we've got a variety of covers and 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 ways to to see our book and and that's that's um very that's funny. nice yeah and they're going to be different artists so yeah you're really different going to artists. get different yep. art yep that's that's definitely the case and um but other than that the text very very few changes very few changes there's a few word um spelling and that kind of thing so of course we made sure John didn't do any of that <laughs> good lord you know yeah. both both the American and the and the British audiences are going to look at that and go what yeah that's not that's not ours. No, no, it's not was, theirs. Who's, no, 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 no. But you know, we really we had a lot of fun together. And in, and in between the two books and this, the last two books, we actually we wrote and and published our Torchwood novel too, Exodus Code. So that was very fun to do. 
sort of nice to revisit Torchwood, you know. It's, it's got to be a limited lifespan. Everybody is sitting there waiting. Or when's, when are we going to get Torchwood back? Well, you know, Captain Jack doesn't age, but John will eventually. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, one of the things that was really nice about doing the Torchwood novel, um, which, if I can just plug again and say, is Please. called Exodus Code. <laughs> Exodus Code. Exodus Code. And the cool thing about that book was that, you know, all the powers that be, including Russell Davies and, and so on at the BBC, gave us the permission to actually write the story after Miracle Day. So for for fans of the book, it really picks, uh, for fans of the series and of Torchwood in general, um, Exodus Code picks up exactly where Miracle Day left, leaves off. And, and so even if we may not... Um, Although I still have every body part crossed, but even if we don't get uh, another series on television, um, you, the, the book takes the characters a little further along in the mythology and, and the canon. And so mm. that was really, really, really kind of a privilege to be able to work on. Gives the audience what they want. Yeah. It's something, I, now that I know, it's called, I'm sorry again, Exodus, Exodus Code. Exodus, Exodus Code. Code. Yes. To and, plug the book again. <laughs> yeah, Exodus Code, and the book is, um, it's out in paperback over uh -huh. here. I think Random House publishes um, it over here. Obviously, it was BBC Books and um, Random House over in the UK, but um, it's I, it's very it's very much a Captain Jack story. So I have to say, anyone who's a big fan, who any of your listeners who are really big fans of Captain Jack, John oh, and I really... There are going to be a lot of them. <laughs> I'm raising my hand here. <laughs> John and I really created it so that it would be a Captain Jack story. And, and um, obviously, uh, Gwen has a role in it, as do a few of the other characters um, from the original Torchwood. But uh, it, it was that was actually really cool for us to work on because we, we really immersed ourselves back in the Torchwood world again, um, the way I had when we were working on our second book together which was his John's autobiography mm -hmm. which takes place a lot on set during Torchwood well that's what people wanted to see at the time or hear about you know yes yes for sure and Miracle Day was I, I had so many nightmare scenarios worked up in my head about Miracle <laughs> Day so I'm very intrigued to see what you came up with my my one was um, okay so every every scrap of human life doesn't die uh, if this, if, if if the miracle had gone on more than nine months, mm -hmm. all every every, it is said that you know one third of conceptions do not come, pregnancies do not complete because, of, right. so the monsters would have started being born and having to be taken care of, and those poor poor little things. Oh my gosh, I have I've never really thought it through that much, but I like the way you're thinking. Yeah, I would. I think it would be kind of. You could really have sort of a, a, a very cool, you could turn it very quickly into a pretty gross, and, but very exciting yeah. <laughs> monster um, event. Yeah. No, Most of them would be, you know, pathetic and unable to care yes. for themselves and yet unable to die. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. there, there could be a whole, you know, this is why miscarriage happens and this is why abortion happens. And, and yeah. That, yeah. That could get very political very quickly. But. Well, and yes, and but one of the things that's really interesting that I'm fascinated with with sci-fi generally is that uh, it, it tends not to be it, it tends to be a genre that doesn't shy away from those political messages at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, know. sometimes it's a you know alien metaphor, but right. But that's all right. I think I, I, again, it sort of brings us back full circle to how we started the conversation. The idea that I think when you read sci-fi. Um, you are you are able to 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 read a, a, a lot stronger metaphorically because of the just the nature of allegory and the nature of all the symbolism that you that comes across when you read in that genre. Am I sounding too much like an academic now? Sorry. Oh no no no! That's, no that's, please, <laughs> that's that adds you know a whole dimension to your writing and, and yeah. to your to your to your personhood. Yeah, and I, I do. I, I one of the classes I teach at Alberno College, which is where my I, you know my day job is. Um, this is in uh, Wisconsin. Yes, it's in Alberno College, it's a liberal arts and college in um, at in Milwaukee, and mm -hmm. I teach a class on um, the future in film and fiction. 
And um, the students, when we get done, they, they're just amazed at the breadth of topics and issues we've covered um, just through reading a couple, you know, three or four novels and watching some sci-fi films. So I, I'm, I'm very much a big a fan, even if I wasn't writing in it, I'm definitely a fan of the genre. I want to take this class. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really fun class. We start with um, Children of Men. We watch the film. Uh, Children of Men. So it's a, there's a lot of dystopian novels in it too, mm-hmm. and, and we read, we watch Blade Runner, um, uh, Twelve Monkeys. Uh, those are the films we um, we actually start with Hunger Games because uh, I think um, the metaphors that she sets up for class discrepancies and social economic justice, all those issues are in that book for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a yes, it's a very fun class to teach. Yeah, but you you know. I, I bet you get a lot of dropouts because people are going to think, oh, this is going to be a fun class. I'm not going to have to work. I'll just get to watch movies. You make yeah. them work, I bet. I do make them work. I do make them work. I have to say that um, it's not unusual for me to get to an end of a class and students will say, you know, I had a lot of fun, but this wasn't easy. <laughs> good. good good, for you and good for them <laughs> make for them sticking think. with it. Yes, I agree. I agree. So you're you're uh, you're not just a science fiction writer. You you also write murder mysteries. Well, I have I have actually um, I write a lot of um, I do a lot of reviews. I have a column on the mystery genre that I uh, write for um, for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of uh, books that I put aside. One is a, a contemporary mystery, and the other one uh, a manuscript, I should say. The other one is a manuscript. Um, a mystery set during the Civil War with um, Walt Whitman and um, uh, Clara Barton as sort mm. of the mm-hmm. main characters solving the mysteries with um, real. F- so there's it's a historical mystery, and I put them aside to work on these projects with John. And I'm just finally getting to the point where I'm I'm seeing some time that I can pick them back up and get those finished and and send them out because um, I'm also a fan of, of the mystery genre. Mm. It's like, John, go, go work on another film for a few months. Yeah. Arrow, Arrow needs you. Yes. <laughs> go pick well, up. and Arrow's going to get a lot more of them. I, I, you know, that, uh, you probably are aware of this, but he's, um, you know, he's going to be a, a, a much more of a regular series character starting this next season. So he's actually looking to get himself settled in Vancouver for a while. That's oh a very nice place to settle. I think he'll like it. Yeah, well, he's, you know, right now, when he's been filming last season and, and, and the season before when he was filming his Arrow um, spits, he was driving, he was flying back and forth, obviously, from L.A. to Vancouver. And, mm-hmm. and yes, he Good. really said it's a very nice city. And it's not going to get the the weather of a Chicago or, you know, if any, anywhere east of there in Canada is... A little, but, a little rough, but uh, very, very mild weather. And it's a little bit of a commute, though. That's what I The TV industry has grown up there. Well, it's very funny, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners will appreciate this because I would have loved to have been on this plane ride myself. He was, um, he uh, tweeted me one, or uh, tweeted me, texted me once from a, the plane that, and took a couple of pictures um, because I'm also a huge supernatural fan, and the the flight was. Yes, yes, and the flight had all the arrow um, people on it, and all the supernatural people on it. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, what God. a fangirl! Can you Just... imagine if you were on that plane? You know, I mean, of course, I completely ignore the brother, but you know, I, <laughs> he's your I brother. But but every other fangirl is gonna squee I over that know. whole scenario. I know. I it's know. It's different when it's your brother. Oh, I know. I know. Well, the problem with, well, the problem with that, having been on a couple, a number of panels at um, Comic Con and a few other places, drooling <laughs> um, fangirls and fanboys are yes, women. absolutely. Sorry. That, uh, Hello, married, gay, lives six thousand <laughs> miles away. Just hey, give it up. What my theory is, you are, there's no limits to your fantasy world. You this know, is if I'm true. Fantasize about someone. He's not going to be my husband in that way. <laughs> And I love my husband a lot. <laughs> so, Zach, your husband, or uh, is I thought going back to your writing um, the, and the book at hand, the books at hand, the Hollow Earth series. 
Um, Zach is is uh, the third kid in the group. He is the non-relative. He is mm-hmm. he is deaf, and yes. uh, that that yes. plays a part in it. And there, but but it's not just gratuitously added. It's just part of life. And uh, That's right. I think. I think a lot of kids are going to get, get a charge out of that because everybody wants to see themselves, right? Right. And I, um, what was interesting about creating that character, um, he was actually the first character on that uh, car ride that I was telling you about earlier. Um, Zach was actually the first character we thought about because we, we decided that we wanted the characters to be telepathic. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, it would be kind of cool if we had a character who... The tele- he was telepathic, but he also communicated in different ways. And so we thought, well, if he was deaf, he would be communicating with sign language and um, obviously reading lips. And so we started, we challenged ourselves to see if at the time, um, this was a few years ago, to, at the time to see if we could come up with a character in a children's book who was deaf, who was a main character, and, but the story was not written from first person. Because if you think about it, if it's a deaf character and you're in that deaf character's mind and point of view as first person, their deafness never inhibits their communication because as a reader, you're reading what they're thinking all the time anyway. Right, yes. Right. So if you make the book third person and you're not inside the character's heads in the first person way, so in other words, the deaf character is not, I thought this and then I said... I. I communicated this kind of thing. It it makes it a much bigger challenge to the writer, and um, we tried to find books where that was the case. There's a num- there's a few uh, adult novels, but until um, I think it was Wonderstruck, the um, author who wrote Hugo Cabret, his second mm. book has mm. a deaf character who is not. Um, first person. Um, other than that, we put out the word to all sorts of sources and no one could find one. So we feel like we kind of had a little bit of a first there with Hollow Earth and Zach. You know, I, I could have suggested something. I happened to, across a uh, script from Children of a Lesser God and uh, before yeah. it was a movie and I hadn't read the book and much of the dialogue is written in the syntax of AS, American Sign Language, ASL. And that, and it came out very different. It was, you know, right. kind of a lack of articles and, and pronouns and things. <laughs> right. Yes, right, right. Well, and the, the, the challenge for me when I was turning this into the written word, you know, was to not, to, to vary how Zach would communicate. So he's telepathic with M, the, the, the sister mm-hmm. of the, the main characters, but he um, he signs and lip reads for everyone else. So it, I I, th- I don't yeah, know. Lip I, reading is practically a superpower because he's I think so he's too. kind of you know and, and but it's a superpower that anybody could learn. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is you know ama- yeah. kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I think on the British website to the novel, I think they put some links to um, obviously the British um, sign language um, alphabet. Mm-hmm. And um, we've heard from a number of kids who are just so thrilled to have um, a, a deaf um, adolescent be um, not just a main character, but he's pretty darn heroic at the end of, uh, I'm not going to go much away, but... Spoilers! Oh, sorry! <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's um... It's it's a refreshing sort of uh, it's a refreshing sort of writing environment, I think, writing yeah. writing for young adults. Well, uh, it is, and 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 our books um, are are geared to to that sort of nine to or eight to thirteen year old market, and so it's all they're almost considered to be middle grade in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I think um, John and I of just this last summer. Um, Signed, signed to do three more, but make the, the, but to age the twins, so to have the twins grow older along with our readers, and I think that'll be a very interesting challenge for us to, to tackle that. We've already sort of mapped out what we want to happen in the first book, but we're not quite sure where the, the whole trilogy is going to go quite yet. Well, I'm excited. I had not heard anything about a, a, another trilogy. Yes, I'm not sure how public it is, so maybe you've got a little bit of a scoop. A scoop, here. a scoop. We've got a scoop. I'm excited. <laughs> Drink your tea, uh, uh, 
the the dog just walked in and demanded dinner. Fun. So, so um, this fun. is this is why our company motto is "We'll fix it in post." <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Very good. I'm gonna drink my water. You can drink whatever you drink. <laughs> I I'm imagining you know tea from a china cup, but you know. Actually, I am drinking. I am drinking tea, um, and it's from uh, a royal mug that John got me uh, in celebration of the Queen's whatever it was. You know her jubilee. Jubilee, yes. So, um, it's, so it's got all sorts of royal um, paraphernalia and insignia on it. Um, I'm not quite sure why I grabbed that one, but that's the one I'm drinking my tea from now. <laughs> the things we imagine. Yeah. Okay. The dog's name is Tegan, which was one of the cat. The, uh, I I do admit to have naming my dog for for a Doctor Who character. Okay. That's fine. I think that's really good. I actually debated whether calling to call my daughter that, and um, so I think that's very very legitimate. Um, did you hear that, Jean? No, you didn't. You didn't have your headphones on. I didn't have my she headphones almost, on. She almost. She might. She had thought about calling her daughter. I almost Tegan. called my daughter Tegan. My husband was the one who decided that there was probably enough Doctor Who in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wouldn't be, you know, confused with all the other Tegans in the class. No, there aren't very many Tegans. Although I have to say, when I do get a Tegan in my class, I often ask, I will ask her, "Were your parents um, Doctor Who fans?" And usually, she says, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like every uh, every generation, you know, you, we're we're fans of something, and then our kids go, "Oh my God, that again!" Your your son has been surprisingly good about that. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's you know he's geeky. got his own stuff, you know. He does have his own stuff, but but he doesn't roll his eyes too badly at our stuff. No, that's, I that's true. I don't need to watch him play any more video games. But uh, <laughs> if there was a Doctor Who video game, I'd be in the room. Oh yeah, is isn't there one? Uh, there are uh, not for like the PS3. Yeah, no. there's there's like you know you can get on the website and play things but yeah, oh all right yeah there there and there there are um uh, a couple of games for android uh, all you know right. and they're mostly just puzzle games but there's one adventure game i think and uh but there's nothing really major you know there's no I big think that would be ripe for something like i think that. the torchwood would game would think... be great but it would be adults strictly adults only <laughs> yeah yeah that would be yeah don't bring me coffee <laughs> Free boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's see. Uh, we could get back following to this. Book. We had just we had just finished talking about Zach. Oh, we had. Yeah, thought we had. I don't know what you know a third of what he's done yet, do I? Because we no. haven't read the third book. That looks like the second trilogy is a bit of a scooperoo. Second yes, second exactly. trilogy. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Looking. the second book um, has, I think, some really cool aspects to it. The second book, Bone Quill, has some really exciting aspects to it that I think um, Doctor Who fans will particularly appreciate. I love, um, I love the title. The Bone Quill? Oh, yes. Bone Quill, yeah. Yes, and it's, uh, it's, it becomes even more important the the bone quill does in the third book too. We really worked hard to try to um, sort of do the kinds of things that we loved to read when we were when we read books. You know, and we're big fans of adventure stories. We you know we read um, all the Enid Blyton books when we were kids, and mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, even sort of the C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. Mm-hmm. These are all fans. these are all sibling oriented too, aren't they? Absolutely, and that was a big, you know, one of our favorite series when we were growing up was the, the the Secret Seven and the Famous Five, which I'm not sure are very popular over here, but of course with John, John and I are, you know, well, at least my childhood was mostly in the UK and a, a, a decent chunk of John's, so I passed along all of those books to him when he was ready for them, and um, we, we've gone back and reread them since, and there's just, there's something very... Um, exciting about uh, 
siblings and their friends getting involved in adventure. So we always knew we wanted to do that and have that in the books. And in the second book, um, the well, let me back up and say across the trilogy, the twin, the twins, you know, they, they start out the book with the first book with their um, anim, their powers to animate themselves into drawings and paint. Mm-hmm the power to bring their drawings to life. And then with each book, their powers grow significantly into more interesting and intriguing and, um, I think, really fun ways. And by the time we get to the end of the third book, they're almost fully realized in terms of where their powers are going to go. There might be a, There's a few things that we saved for the next trilogy, but... Um, and, and, I, and I think kids really resonate with that kind of development across a series of oh, their yes. characters growing and moving mm-hmm. and developing and not staying static. And so it was coming of age, for, you know, because yeah. every 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 kid that age is dealing with that. That's right. That's right. And and you know, you may not be figuring, you may not be real, you know, be having a superpower. Your imagination may not be com- turning into a superpower, but there's other things that you're realizing you can do really well now that you couldn't do a year ago or whatever. And, and that's always real exciting to, to think about. And I think for John and I, it was an important, it had to, we wanted it to be an important part of the trilogy for sure. I just, I just came up with something that's not entirely uh, family oriented. <laughs> just if they find porn magazines in Matt's room, it's over. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, oh, you can animate the girls and well, yeah. you know, oh boy they, you cannot animate people so in that sense okay but you can go into the picture and interact with them go into the picture and they could certainly animate versions of them yeah yes yes well you oh, know what oh dear <laughs> i am um, if you uh when you start that next book and you see some porn being animated <laughs> you'll learn the idea from <laughs> and, and, but, and the good part is oh, you can blame dear. john <laughs> say, oh well that's captain jack isn't it Yes, it would definitely be Captain Jack. He'll hit on anything, including the insect girls. That's right. It would definitely be Captain Jack's influence, because (laughs) I'm a good girl. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Keep telling us that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, what you're saying about uh, um, uh, kids discovering their new abilities, it's, uh, that's just sort of an eternal wellspring for for fantasy stories. Young adult stories seem to be very heavily about that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely, and especially I think, in as, especially in this genre. Yes, really, they are they absolutely are, and I and I think that you have to take that as a given, but you can do lots of different things with it, obviously, um, and you can and you can address it head on, and and or you can address it in a little bit more of a metaphorical way. All of those things are good, but I do think you have to serve. The rea- that reality um, for your readers, and um, especially in this middle grade, um, I think uh, I think it's important for them to uh, sort of have a touchstone that you know. Even though I'm not like this, man, I'm a lot like that part of it. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, because everything's developing at that age, and and it's one of the joys of parenthood is to just mm-hmm. watch that happen. But when you're going through it, not so much fun all the time. I mean. You know, at that age, I was, like, learning how to grow hair and sweat and get pimples. I mean, no wonder, I've, you know, in all the fiction, the superpowers develop when you're an adolescent, because everything's developing. Well, sure, absolutely. And and I think the the other thing that's interesting that that we really wanted to make sure we did well, too, what were the adults and their reactions to the kids, because um, I I think... And I don't remember where I, I read this or heard this, but I think it was another um, middle grade author at a convention, I, and, I, and I happened to be in the audience, and um, she said something like, the, the kids who read novels at the middle grade are just as interested in the adults that are with the children in the adventures. And although the kids might be the main characters, they really are interested in seeing that the adults are are real and interesting as well. And so you not only have to craft the, the children and the young characters so that they are realistic, but then the reaction that the older characters have to those young children has to be realistic too. So, for example, if the main characters disappear, 
or go away and they're not showing up for dinner, there's not a lot of adults, if they're close to these kids, are going to ignore that and say, oh, I don't know where they went. They're going to go look for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's the, I think the thing about that is that um, uh, if you have, uh, if you have a, a two-dimensional parent or a two-dimensional grown-up in the story with the child um, uh, or the young adult, uh, what you have is an unrealistic situation. It's a cartoon. It's, it's, yeah, like, it's it becomes it's like a cartoon. It's like peanuts, where the all you right. see of the adults wah, is wah 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 wah. Right. That's and, right. and and uh, uh, the importance of what the 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 lead character is going through becomes diminished somehow because they are not they're not um, having to cope with the world on its own terms. Right. And, and and I think excuse um, me, that's all right. And I think JK water. One of the things that she figured out is how to balance those really well. And I think yes. that was part oh, of the success better. of her series. I mean, you cared about the adults in that book as much as you cared on the, the series as much as you cared about the kids. Now there are there's a lot of science fiction at this in the middle grade where the children go off to do adventures and 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 the parents are not part of those adventures for a variety of reasons. They they're they're not um, time traveling with the kids. They haven't stepped, you know, off of out of reality with the kids, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. And and that's a little different. But if there are adults in the book, they 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 should be interacting, um, in in ways I think that have to be as real as as the kids themselves. At least that that's the way we approach the trilogy with that with the adults that we created. And they're not wicked just to be wicked. I mean, there's there's reasons why the the um, the adversarial adults are the way they are. They're not oh, just sure. big meanies. They they have a tradition that they're upholding, and they really believe what they're doing. That's right. And I think in our trilogy, that's definitely the case. Um, with uh, and again, I don't want to do any spoilers, but it's very clear in the begin towards the end of the the at the end of the first book. You know, there 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 um, there's some things set up for. Um, all of the big events of the second book and so when you get to the third book these things have all got to be resolved but they have to be resolved in a way that you see it in that first book and and that's really a, a challenge it's very exciting but it's also a challenge and when we were plotting the final book um, uh, last year we 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 actually sat down with a list that our editor created for us of all the little things that we had seeded so that we wouldn't <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have an amazing editor that, um, uh, that we work with for this series. And yes. While you're probably, tying up loose ends, you might want to consider these. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Or, or actually, she's not nearly that polite, Jean. She pretty much says, look, you got to tie these things up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yes, yes. Dangling by their toes on, you know, from a, from, from a griffin's claws or something, you know? Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. And and how did they get there? And how are they not? How are they getting away from that? And and um, because we've found talking to young readers that they are paying attention to those little details. In some cases, way more than the adults who are enjoying the series are. Yeah. Is, well, you've had that experience with Doctor Who fans, I think. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and Star Trek fans, forget about it. If you make if they make a mistake in one of those episodes, they're in trouble. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I have that, had that happen. I usually, when I'm on a, especially a Doctor Who panel or something, um, uh, I often will say, you know, I'm just going to apologize right now for all the things I don't know. Yeah. Right up front. <laughs> That's about all you can do, I guess. Yes. Don't email me. You know? <laughs> well, it's pretty soon there'll be, you know, Hollow Earth fans going... Yeah, but what about the... <laughs> oh, yes. Well, oh we already God. get... I've already been getting um, some of that. Uh, there's a... Um, when we when we present to kids, a, a lot of times their questions are very pointed. And um, in fact, John and I, when we were making a presentation at a school in Scotland, I think when the book first came out in, in the UK a couple of years ago, and he, um, this little boy stood up and said... You know, if you and I'm, I'm, I'm having to watch my words here because I don't want to give away anything for the, the rest of the series. But he said, if you if this happens, then this has to happen, and then if that happens, I'm guessing this is going to happen, 
And then that's the way it ends. And when we got backstage, but got off the, the stage, John and I were like, holy, that kid <laughs> nailed it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hope he doesn't sue you later. <laughs> well, luckily we But he figured it out. It, well, it's a sign of a well-designed plot. Well, you know what? That, after you know. we got over the initial shock, and we're like, oh, my gosh. And actually, we said that to the young man when he was said, I said, you know what? You are so smart. But we, you know, and it was like, you know, he didn't have every detail played out, but he could see where the arc was going. And I thought that was really, really cool. And how old was this young man? I bet he was 10. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I know. Watch out for oh him. He's going to be an editor tomorrow. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Or, God help us, a writer. Oh! <laughs> you know what? I think that talent may, may be better served by an editor. Mm. Just just my read on it. Yes. As long as he doesn't become the evil genius with the test tubes and he's creating things. <laughs> I know it's easier to create things with a pen than with test tubes. I'm with you there. It was always easier for me to do that. That's for sure. Didn't, didn't stop <laughs> so, us from building a lab in our backyard. Shush. There's hardly any test tubes in there, and I don't blow things up inside. <laughs> well, we, actually, we actually do have, have a lab. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't kidding about that. <laughs> the explosions the explosions are in the kitchen, not in the... Yeah, that's it. There have been one or two explosions in the kitchen. Shut up. I don't even want to talk about those. It's like in my house when the kids when my kids were young and the fire alarm, you know, the smoke detector would go off and they'd oh, say, let's cooking! <laughs> let me sing you the song of my people. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and then my family started calling it the dinner bell, so... Oh, oh gosh. Yes, that's... Your family is obviously way more polite than mine was. <laughs> any any form of mockery will do. Oh yes, absolutely. A healthy it's a healthy thing to have. Carol Barrowman, uh, it's been a great pleasure having you here with us on the Event Horizon this evening. Uh, your books with uh, John Barrowman, Hollow Earth, Bone Quill, Book of Beasts, which is due out soon, and uh, Exodus Code, the Torchwood novel. Uh, it's been a great pleasure having you with us. It has been so much fun. Thank you, both of you. I've had a, It's been a real treat. You have just heard episode 54 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 22nd, 2014, with our special guest, science fiction novelist Carol E. Barrowman. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer, Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, March 23rd, 2014, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll be able to find this episode and others as downloads on the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was played by Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-Minus One. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>